1: Thank you for joining us. God loves his children. He protects, provides, guides, forgives, and so much more. Therefore, he deserves our trust, praise, glory, honor, obedience, and so much more. Yet we often grieve our Lord by turning from him to do things our way rather than turn to him in obedience. And what does God do? He gives us what we don't deserve, his love, grace, and mercy. He continues to teach and develop us, and he is always available to us. The question is, when will we always be available to him? Have Bible pen and paper handy as Pastor Randor speaks to us.
2: Have your Bibles be so kind enough to turn with us to the book of Jonah. We're preaching through the book of Jonah. I'm just taking my time. You say, why are you going so slow? I'm going so slow because the Lord wants you to get the message. That's number one. And number two, once we get out of Jonah, when do I get back to Jonah? There are so many other books to preach in the scripture. So I want to really um, glean and gain all we can while we are in the midst of this dear book from the Holy Spirit. Jonah, the book of Jonah, chapter one, verses nine through 12. And uh, we'll start off with verses nine through 11 and then we'll end with verse 12. Uh, let's do nine, 11, nine through 11 for now. It says, he answered and said, I am a Hebrew and worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. So the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? And from this passage, we want to preach uh, the renegade prophet who faced a great storm. The renegade prophet who faced a great storm. In verses 9 through 11, you, you have in this segment of the passage, Jonah identifies himself and the terrified crewman. Jonah identifies himself and the terrified crewman in verses 9 through 11. With that being said, storms are no place for being disingenuous. Storms are no place for being deceptive and dishonest. Jonah acknowledged his ethnicity in verse 9a for the scripture says he answered I am a Hebrew. Beloved, do not be ashamed of who God created you to be. For God is a God of diversity. He's a God of equity. And we are all fearfully and wonderfully made. Jonah said, look at that verse 9b, I am a Hebrew. He identifies his ethnicity there. Jonah acknowledges God as his Lord and creator. He leaves him no doubt uh, he does not leave them in doubt as to who he represent are supposed to be representing, but his rebellion is getting in the way. Uh, he says in verse 9b, the scripture says, "And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land." He's acknowledging God as His creator, His God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the same God who called Moses to go down in Israel, go down in Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. The same God who emancipated Israel from slavery and bondage of Egypt and split the Red Sea in part. And they walked over on dry ground. The same God who brought manna from heaven and water out of a rock. He says, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea, and the dry land. I am a Hebrew. Jonah also acknowledges that he fled from the presence of God, which caused the ship's crew to become terrified at Jonah's response. Jonah did not lie. Let's give him credit for that, like some people do. Jonah did not lie. Uh, He confessed and told the truth about himself, which is always the right thing to do, especially when you're in a crisis. Uh, The crewmen knew Jonah was telling the truth because the scripture says at the end of verse 10, because he had told them. As the storm, this tremendous, gigantic storm uh, grew worse and worse, the mariners ask a question in verse 11, What shall we do to Jonah that the sea may be calm for us? I believe this is a great question we can ask ourselves when we are in the midst of our own personal storms. Allow me to transition as we deal with storms. What can we do to have tranquility and calmness during troubled times? What can we do to have tranquility and calmness during troubled times. Uh, we're in troubling times when you look at uh, the, the things that happen in our country, the, the fires, the tornadoes, the, the floods. Uh, if it's not one thing, it's another. Uh, political upheaval and all kinds of things. What can we do to have tranquility and calmness during troubling times? Some of us are in troubling times because of death in the family. Others, because of financial situations. Others, uh, because of difficulties in the marriage, and on and on it goes. A, make sure your faith is anchored in the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be anchored in Christ before difficult days come. Hebrews 6.19a says, This hope we have as an anchor. Jesus Christ is our rock. Jesus Christ is our anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. That's something I want to say there. A life that is not anchored in Christ will drift away from him. A life that is not anchored in Christ will be carried away by materialism carried away. You'll drift away into entertainment. Uh, You'll drift away into politics and let that become all-consuming and you allow the political arena to just get you all bent out of shape. You walk around here mean and mad and looking like you've been baptized in lemon juice. You got to be anchored in Christ. If you're not anchored in Christ, then you will embrace the teachings of false teachers And then you'll be aimlessly meandering around without any sense of direction. But when your life is anchored in Christ, you will be steadfast. When your life is anchored in Christ, you will be immovable. When your life is anchored in Christ, you will be firmly fixed through the trials of life. The trials won't move you. You won't tuck your tail and run. You'll be still and know he's God. And you'll be anchored, your soul is anchored in the Lord. B, or what can we do to have tranquility and calmness during troubling times? No matter how severe things become, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and not on your circumstances. Things will get bad. You say, well, they're not bad now. We'll just keep saying good morning. Keep your eyes on Jesus in the midst of adversity. If you don't, you'll lose heart in the storm. Hebrews chapter twelve, verse two a says, "Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith." Keep your eyes on Jesus, not on people, not on circumstances. Uh, don't just sit around and and keep put your eyes on what shoulda, what shoulda, coulda, woulda, and all of that. When you begin to look for anything other than Christ, look. When you begin to look for anything other than Christ. Through the challenges of life, you are destined to be disillusioned. When when your eyes no longer fixed on Christ, you'll become disappointed, you'll be deceived, and you'll become discouraged. People will let you down. Things will let you down. Only what you do for Christ will last. He sustains. He's forever God. Therefore, you can weather any storm that intrudes into your life if you only keep your eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. See, continue to trust God and wait on him if you want tranquility and calmness through troubling times. Continue to trust in God and wait upon him in all my years in ministry. I have never heard one person tell me I regretted waiting on the Lord. And waiting on the Lord can be so difficult because we don't know what's going to happen. We want things to happen right now. God is moving too slow, but excuse me, he is not on your timetable. Satan will always tempt us to become impatient and move ahead of the Lord to our own detriment. I love that great psalm's. Uh, verse twenty seven fourteen that says, wait on the Lord. Now, some of y'all probably uh, look past that, but the, the greatest spiritual thing you can do in your life is, is wait on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord keep you out of trouble. It keeps you from moving ahead of God. It keeps you from making a fool out of yourself. It keeps you from making bad decisions. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. He will encourage your heart. And then again, in case you didn't get it, he says, wait, I say on the Lord. Listen, I want you to get this. We would be absolutely surprised if God would unveil to us the many great blessings we did not receive because of our inability to wait on the Lord. Did you get that? That was so big. It may have just flown right by you. Let me say it again. We would be absolutely surprised if God would unveil, unfold to us the many great blessings we would have received and did not receive because of our inability to wait on the Lord. Satan always work in the right now. He always work in the moment. You know, Satan doesn't say wait one year, wait two years. Uh, he, he doesn't, Satan will never tell you to wait on the Lord. That's that's too healthy spiritually. He'd say, move now. Uh, you know, your wife didn't know what she was talking about. Your, your father said, wait and, and you didn't. And that's how you get children uh, early in life, out of wetlock. This is how you buy the wrong car. This is how you buy the wrong house. This is how you uh, make wrong decisions and move, and move when you shouldn't have moved. Uh, and, and on and on it goes. my friends, I never heard anyone tell me in all my ministry I regretted waiting on the Lord. D, if you are responsible for the turbulent times in your life, repent and cry out to God for deliverance. I want you to get it again. If you are responsible for the turbulent times in your life, repent and cry out to God for deliverance. Many times we are responsible for, for our own trials. Sometimes not, but sometimes it is. Uh, Psalms 34, 17 says, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. There are no troubles that God can't deliver you out of. There's nothing too hard for God, wherever you are in life. And we can make a whole lot of trouble for, for ourselves, but you can't make so much trouble that God can't deliver you. I'm so glad God is still in the delivering business. How many of you are glad about that? How many of you've made enough mess that the Lord had to clean up And then sometimes you don't even say thank you. Psalms 50, 15 says, then call on me when you are in trouble and I will rescue you. He's rescued me and you will give me glory. When I rescue you, when I deliver you, when I heal you, when I come through for you, give me glory, give me honor, give me praise the height of ingratitude is for you to experience God's mighty breakthrough and deliverance and then refuse to praise God, refuse to worship him in spirit and in truth, refuse to glorify the God who made a way out of no way when there's even when there seemed to be no way. He made a way for you. You ought to go to bed shouting. You ought to be so happy you can't sleep when you know God only God to bring you through that particular trial. Let's look at verse 12 now. Verse 12 is Jonah's instructions. Jonah's instructions. The scripture says in verse 12, and he said to them, this is Jonah speaking, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great storm is because of me. Now, I want you to underline that because you're going to be here be saying that throughout the duration of the message. Because to me, that's the theme of the rest of this message. It, 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 it is a phrase that we rarely say uh, of ourselves. I, and so just underline that, triple line it if you can. For I know that this storm is because of me. That's the theme verse. Notice that it was Jonah and not the seaman who instructed that he be thrown overboard to calm the raging sea. That wasn't the seamen, It was Jonah that, that said that. Jonah accepts responsibility for his own sin and instructs the men to throw him into the sea, which would calm the great storm. The theme verse again, verse 12b says, For I know that this great storm is because of me. Even though Jonah confesses that the storm was because of his own personal rebellion against God, he did not have to tell those crewmen to throw him into the sea. Instead, he could have said, Turn the ship around and go to Nineveh. How come he didn't say that? Which probably would have resulted in God calming the raging sea as they headed back to God's original destination for him. However, Jonah was so obstinate that he would rather kill himself than to go preach to that wicked Gentile city and tell them to repent. God didn't didn't tell the men to throw Jonah in the sea. The men didn't come up with the idea of let's throw Jonah into the sea. It was Jonah himself. Why did Jonah say that? He would rather commit suicide than to go to that wicked Gentile city. And he's a preacher. Don't want to see folk get saved. He's a preacher. He was backslidden out of all. Jonah was in a hot mess. But all the Jonahs aren't, aren't gone. Some of you in a hot mess, too. You know, instead of praying for folk that they get saved, you run them down. You talk them down. You won't witness to them. You won't. Sometimes you're too mad to pray for the person. And the person going to hell, you got the message of salvation, and you're being a Jonah. You, you'd rather see them die in hell, many Christians, than to see folk go to heaven. Most Christians, when they get themselves into trouble, listen at this most Christians, when they get themselves into trouble, they, you know what they'll do when they get in trouble? They will lie, they will fight, they will argue, they will protect themselves. They will become defensive and they will blame everyone but themselves because before they accept responsibility for their own sin. Not in the case of Jonah. Here's a theme verse again. 12b says, for I know that this great storm is because of me. It's me. It's not my mama, not my sister, not my brother, not my wife, not my husband. It's me. Even though Jonah confessed that he was the cause of the storm, he would rather die than obey God's instruction to go preach to the Ninevites. Nowhere in this passage will you find God telling the crewman or instructing Jonah to be tossed into the sea. With that being said, let's transition. Why do many Christians not take responsibility for their trials, bad decisions, setbacks, lack of progress in their lives? Why do many Christians not take responsibility for their own trials, bad decisions, setbacks, and lack of progress in their lives. Now, it's not saying that all adversities uh, you brought them on yourself. Sometimes people can put you in tough situations, but sometimes we do bring problems on our own selves if we are truly honest with ourselves. So why do many Christians not take responsibility for their trials, bad decisions, setbacks, and lack of progress in their lives? A, because they have an entitlement mentality. This is why they can't take responsibility. They feel like people owe them. Beloved, this kind of hard attitude will mess you up and cause you to be a very difficult person to deal with when you feel like people owe you something. Stop having an entitlement mentality. You know, they got all kinds of things going on out there where people just say, you owe me, you owe me, you owe me. You put yourself in bondage when you put yourself in a position saying you owe me and you just sitting there uh, sulking over it until uh, they do right by you. And you in your life get all messed up and out of order. Let God take care of you. Besides, the only thing that's owed you is a God sized whipping. You say, why you said it? Because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. None, no, not one. Uh, no, nobody really owes us anything. And you say, well, I paid somebody this. I, this happened. I gave my services to this person. I've been in this place. I've done this. I've done that. I've been here all these years, whatever. You owe me. You owe me. No, God pays. God rewards If you cannot get over your entitlement mentality, you're going to be very difficult to deal with as a wife, a husband, a church worker, a sibling, or whatever. Uh, B, why do many Christians do not take responsibilities for their trials, bad decisions, setbacks, and lack of progress in their lives? Because they take comfort in blaming others to avoid their own flaws and failures. You know, it's like uh, Adam... Way way back in the garden, it's that woman you gave me. You know, it's that woman. <laughs> that blame goes all the way back to the garden. If it wasn't for that woman, you gave me that woman. I didn't ask for that woman. That woman. But he didn't take responsibilities for his own uh, failure uh, because people can't accept the responsibilities for their trials because they. Uh, take comfort in blaming others to avoid their own personal flaws and failures rather than accept responsibilities for where they are in life. You know? Satan will move you to blame others and even hurt others to protect yourself. That's right. It's all about protecting you. Keeping your failures camouflaged. Your flaws camouflage. See... Wise is the listener. I want you to get this right, every word of this down. Wise is the listener who honestly investigates and hears both sides of an issue before coming to a conclusion. Wise is the listener who honestly investigates Hears and investigate both sides of an issue before coming to a conclusion. The Berean study Bible says in Proverbs 12, 13, he who answers a matter before he hears it, this is folly and disgrace to him. Wow. And people always they'll come up telling you it could be a husband, a wife, a child, it could be a co-worker. It could be a relative, sibling or whatever. Uh, when issues come and trials come, they always have a way of uh, defending themselves. And they always have a way of not being able to listen. And what we need are some good listeners in the time of storm, people who can listen and hear what has happened to the person who feels like they've been treated with a heightened sense of inequity and injustice. D, a spiritually mature listener will ask the person who feels like they have been treated unjustly, how have you contributed to this issue? A spiritually mature listener will ask the person who feels like they have been treated unjustly, they will ask the person, when they go and tell you what's been done to them, Sometimes people go to the church and they talk about others because they feel like they've been slighted and they so gossip and they do all of this because they are so wrapped around each other in the church. Instead of telling God, they tell all their friends, they text all their friends, they email all their friends, guess what he did to me, what she did to me. But I, I rarely hear people asking the question, how have you contributed to this issue? And what are you not telling me that will allow me to better help you through this? What are you not telling me? You know what? People know how not to tell everything. Verse 10 says, this terrified them and they ask, what have you done, Jonah? What have you done? When people come to you, whether it's a husband, a wife, sister, brother, a child, and a teacher, school, yeah, it just goes all over the place. And they begin to come and they come, and them, Gu- guess what? And they're all mad and they, hey, guess what? And blah, 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 blah. Hey, blah, blah. Hey, and they won't talk. Just, just be quiet. Ha! Blah 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 blah. blah. Oh, you and they did this, and they did this, and I was doing this, and they didn't accept this, and they did, and I and, they, and when they get when all their steam run out, look at them with gentleness and kindness. I'm just making up a name. Now, If your name John, I'm not talking about you, <laughs> John. I want to know what have you done. That's what, they, that's what the crewman asked Jonah. It's in the text. What if, I want to know what you've done. Now you're telling me all this stuff is everybody else. You got your wife all worked up. You got your husband all worked up. You got your children. You told your children, especially if they're old enough, they all worked up. You got your relatives all worked up. You got the members all worked up. But what have you done? Isn't that a great question? Underline that and don't tear it out your Bible.
1: The greatest gift anyone could ever receive has already been given. Jesus paid the price in full. He loves us so much that he desires a personal relationship with all who surrender all to him. We have direct access to our Lord and Savior through the indwelling Holy Spirit. We owe him everything, yet the gift of salvation is free. Don't waste one more second. If you enjoy this kind of biblical teaching or would like to hear this message in its entirety, please visit us at Maranatha Bible Church located at 7855 East Loop 1604 North in Converse, Texas or call us at 210-821-5683. If you would like to make a special donation to support the radio ministry of Maranatha Bible Church, please visit our website at maranathasa.org. Select the Give option and choose the radio broadcast support fund. Thank you very much for your generosity.